Well, good morning, church. How you doing? You good? Come on, how you doing? Are you good? You're good. Back row. Back row never gets love in church, okay? Back row. You got Miss Patsy, you good? Rick, you good? Man, I, I love it, and uh, thank you guys so much for being here. I know we got some new people in the building, and so my name is Joel, and uh, I'm so pumped that you're here. Some of you, this is your first time back since we've, like, reopened the basement, so welcome back, and you guys look good, and that's half the battle, right? That's half the battle right there. Um, hey, there is somebody who I can't see, or a bunch of people I can't see, and that's everybody online. Can you guys show our online family some love and support right now? Just give it up for them. Thank you for watching. So glad you all are here. And uh, there, there is somebody watching online that I know has been watching us all month long from Connecticut. And that's our very own Leslie Eichten, who's normally up here singing with the band. So can everybody say, hey, Leslie? Hey. Leslie, you're Miss in the basement. And I'm bringing Leslie up today. I'm calling you out today, Leslie, because... Leslie posted a picture this week on the internet that made me a little jealous, and uh, she posted a picture of her new-to-her car. Here, here let's, we'll put this on the screen. You see this thing? Did, did anybody just get, like, 1980s nostalgia? Just a little bit? Can, can anybody hear Guns N' Roses right now? Can you hear it? Always. Always. <laughs> this is a 1988 Monte Carlo SS that Leslie and her dad bought together up in Connecticut, and their, their goal is to totally restore this car and turn it into a fun car. And so, like, this week, I sent Leslie a, a message. I was like, Leslie, that is seriously an amazing car. And she wrote me back, and she said, Joel, that's seriously my midlife crisis. Okay, this is what this is. <laughs> she did say that. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to start out by talking about cars, since I brought up Leslie's car. And a little disclaimer before I ask you all a car question. I don't know anything about cars. Right, Carrie said, right, you don't. You don't even know, but you know, I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> I don't know anything about cars. I'm the guy who, like, when I go to the mechanic, it doesn't matter what they say the problem is. I'm like, that's what I thought it was, too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you all fix the thing that you just said it was? Did you fix that? And it doesn't, the mechanic could say anything. It could say, Mr. Tice, your flux capacitor is not working because there's no plutonium in the car. I'll be like, I thought it was the flux capacitor too. Did you all got plutonium? Like, I don't know anything about cars. Nothing about cars. But everybody, no matter if you know anything about cars or not, can answer this question. Um, has anybody here ever, by a show of hands, had a, or owned a fun car? A fun car like Leslie car? Now, wait, 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 wait. Before you put up your hands, when I say fun car, I, I don't mean like your, your sedan with Sirius XM radio. I don't mean your family minivan. I'm talking like, I'm talking like a convertible. I'm talking like something you drive on the beach. I'm talking like a motorcycle or a moped or a PT cruiser. I'm not here to judge. Okay, whatever. No, that doesn't count. But how many of you have ever owned a fun car? You've owned a fun car. Hands up. These are all the irresponsible people in the room. <laughs> It's true, a little bit. Anyway, I've never owned a fun car. I've only owned three cars in my life. All three have been Honda sedans because I think there was nothing more fun than good gas mileage, okay? So I've had no fun cars in my life. But my brother, who's in church today, my brother, who I talk about all the time, thank you, Tim, for letting me do this, he has owned more fun cars than everybody who just raised their hand. 
True, true story, a few years ago, we were at a family dinner. And my brother, at the family dinner, bought a Bronco on eBay by accident. It was his third Bronco he's owned for fun, okay? He just bought his fourth one last month, okay? So he loves fun. By the way, since we're talking about Broncos, if you want to bless your pastor this Christmas, that new four-door Ford Bronco, I will receive that in the name of the Lord, okay? Whatever you need to do. (laughs) But I remember when we were teenagers, and my brother came home one day, and uh, he's like, Joel, I bought a 1989 Ford Mustang GT. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that's amazing. And I was like, I, I want to see this car. And this was going to be his fun car. So I, um, I remember we went to go see this 1989 Ford Mustang GT. I'm like, this thing is going to be just pristine. And we pull up, and this car, all it is is a rusted out frame. I don't remember doors on the thing. I don't remember tires on the thing. The convertible top looked like it had been off and it had been sitting in a junkyard for like 10 years. And I found a picture of the car that was Tim's fun car that he was so excited about. Here it is. (laughs) That's not really it. But it looked pretty bad, right? And uh, I was like, oh, Tim, you bought a a funny car. Not a fun car. He's like, no, no, no. Joel, he said, this car, I'm going to make it a convertible. I'm like, it already is. It's been a convertible for a long time. He's like, no, Joe, I am gonna, I'm going to put a brand new engine in it. I'm going to paint it sunset orange. I'm going to get like 19-inch rims on this car. And like, I was like, I don't, I don't know. He's like, you can't see it. I'm like, I see a bad, bad decision. That's what I see when I look at this, this thing. But my brother, true story, turned that into one of the sickest, most amazing Mustangs I have ever seen. Like, that car was beautiful. And, and listen... He drove it fast. I'm talking like race car fast, fast. Like earned over 20 points on his license from the police by this car. You can ask him. That's a true story, all right? The police love this car. But every, everybody loves Tim's car. I remember driving through Ocean City, and at every stoplight, everybody would talk to us, and they'd be like, that, that car, it's amazing. We love, we love your car. And, and listen, I've driven my cars for 21 years. Not one stoplight in my life has anybody said, that, that sedan you're in, oh, beautiful. <laughs> now, 21 years, not one compliment. But every stoplight, that thing was just this masterpiece. And, and when I first saw it, I, I didn't see it, though. I saw, I saw a mess. I saw the rust bucket. I saw problems. I saw a bad decision. I just saw a mess. And have you noticed that when we look at ourselves a lot of times, that's exactly what we do? In other words, like, when we look at ourselves, we don't see a masterpiece or our potential. We see our mess. Is, is this true for anybody? And a lot of times when we look at ourselves, all we see are our, is the, the dings and the dents and the wrinkles. Hello. And we, we see, like, the rusted out frame. We see our bad choices. We see spring break 1988. <laughs> and you owned a Monte Carlo SS. <laughs> And when we look at ourselves, a lot of times we think, I'm hopeless. Like, I, I am a mess. Like, when I saw Tim's car, like, I, I, I am a mess. But is anybody glad that when God sees you and when God sees me and when God sees us, he sees past our mess and he sees a masterpiece? Is anybody glad about that at all? And now, I didn't say that he didn't see our mess. 
Like he, he's been at every spring break, people. <laughs> but he chooses to see past our mess and, and to see our potential, to see a masterpiece. And guys, our God is in the business of taking messes and turning them into masterpieces. That's who he is, and that's what he does, and that should give all of us hope. And that's what this series, Hopeless, has really been all about, to give you some hope. And so um, I'm wrapping up this whole teaching series today with this final message, and I'm calling this message, There is more to me than the mess you see. And so if you're sitting next to somebody that you can, like, be close to, okay, like you live in the same household. We got social distance people, all right? But if you live in the same household, just turn to them and say, there's more to me than the mess you see. Come on, you got to do it. All right, some of you just said that to your spouse, and your spouse was like, no, there's not. You need to clean the dishes. Anyway, um, hey, we're going to be in the book of John today, and, um, and John is one of the four biographies of Jesus, and, uh, and so if you didn't bring a Bible today, no worries, we have four 65-inch digital Bibles, all right, so you can just follow along on the screen up here, um, but we're going to look at this book um, c- called John, and the book of John was written by a guy named John, okay, just seeing who's paying attention, one person, everybody else is thinking about what you're going to order, Cracker Barrel, all right, but anyway, <laughs> the book of John was written by John, and um, John was one of Jesus' best friends. And he wrote down about one of the craziest, weirdest, strangest miracles that Jesus ever did in John chapter 9. And that's where we're going to pick up. It's right here on the screen. And it says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been, help me out in the back, blind. All right. Blind from birth. Rabbi or teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his, his parents' sins. Now, let's just kind of like break this down before we go any further, right? Let, let's just imagine what's going on. Jesus, he just, he's just doing a little power walking through Jerusalem, probably trying to get his 10,000 steps in, all right? He's just walking. He's got his friends with him, and, and Jesus sees this guy who can't see. Now, pause. Could you imagine how hard it would be to be blind 2,000 years ago? There, there's no Braille, there's no Americans with Disabilities Act. There's, there's no program for you. And so this guy has been born blind. And so he, he is in a mess. Like, he's got no job, probably. He's got no money, probably. He's got nobody. Can we all agree this guy's in a mess? So he's in a mess. And, um, and so Jesus and his, his friends, his disciples, walk by. They see this guy who can't see. And his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, can this guy not see because of, like, the sins that he's done or the sins that his parents did because the worldview at this time was if there was something a physically a physical issue that you had then you must have done something wrong or your parents did something wrong and so Jesus's disciples are, are sharing that worldview can you hear that in their question so they're asking this question and um and so Jesus's friends they see a mess and they're playing the blame game anyway you ever played the blame game before we all play the blame game. Some of you are like, yeah, I mean, listen, okay, spouses. How many of you ever blamed your spouse for something? Today. Today. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How many spouses have ever heard this line? It was you. <laughs> you guys want to hear a story that um, could get me in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, because you asked for it, Amy, I'll tell it. Um, <laughs> so a few years ago, uh, our family was in the family minivan, and we were pulling into the subway. 
in Long Neck, and uh, my, my wife was driving the van, and, and she pulled in the parking lot hot. That's how she pulls into every parking lot hot. Okay, like Monte Carlo hot. And so, like, she pulls into this parking lot hot, and I'm thinking, like, is there a sub shortage or something? Like, I, don't, I think there's going to be some subs in there. I don't know. But she pulls in there. They're hot. And, um, and I would never say that Stacy was driving. You know, we're talking about a blind person. I would never say that Stacey's driving, like, you know, someone who couldn't see. I would never say that because that would get me in trouble. Okay, but I'm just saying she pulled into the driveway or the parking lot like somebody who maybe couldn't see that well. Okay. And I'm, I'm sitting in the passenger seat, like, holding on. And I'm like, baby, just slow down or just drop me and the children off or something. Like, and she's just like, I'm fine. And as she's, like, pulling into our parking space, guys, she, she ran into our parking bumper. She hit that thing like Mike Tyson hits a punching bag. <laughs> and then, like, she's in NASCAR school immediately, reverse, right away. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she backs up. And all I hear from the front of the minivan is crunch. And that's when our, our bumper was no longer with us, okay? And so, no, I got out, and the bumper was just hanging there. And I was like, babe, why'd you do that? I told you to slow down. I was like, I, I would never do anything like that. And, and don't you love to just blame the other driver? That's why I let Stacy drive, so I can like, be like, it's you. So I love to play the blame game with Stacy. Now, a um, uh, little, little fast-forwarding to about two weeks ago. Um, nobody needs any details on this story. I was pulling into the Indian River Inlet, and this time I was driving my little sedan, and, um, and I really wasn't paying attention, and I, I ran into the parking block, guys, like a tourist runs into Candy Kitchen, okay? I just ran, I ran into that thing, and guess who was in the passenger seat next to me? <laughs> Stacy, and she's like, remember that time at Subway? I'm like, don't blame me. <laughs> and like, we all play the blame game, and listen, listen, Stacy. Maybe. I wouldn't have told them that story. But they told me to tell this story. So it's their fault. It's all your all's fault. Um, no, we all play the blame game, right? When, when something is a mess, when something is wrong, we're like, it was you. It's, it, it was the other driver's fault. It's the government's fault. It's our ex's fault. It's the children's fault, honey. Or it's your children's fault, honey. Remember you know that line? <laughs> right? We are all kind of hardwired when something goes wrong to be like, to play the blame game and be like, it was your fault. And so in this story, Jesus and his friends are walking down this street in Jerusalem and they see this guy and, and Jesus' disciples are like, all right, Jesus, who, who done did it? Somebody, somebody messed up. Was it him? Was it his parents? Like, we got, we're going to play the blame game here. But Jesus never played the blame game. Jesus never focused on the mess. He always focused on how to turn the mess into a masterpiece. And so watch this. In, in verse 3, we'll throw it up on the screen. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened. So the front row, help me out here. Back row did way better, okay, but it's all good. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. In other words, Jesus is like, you, you guys all see a mess. I, I see the masterpiece that my dad is going to make out of this situation. Jesus is like, I, I see a miracle coming. I see some hope coming. And so today, I just want to give you two ideas for how Jesus sees through our mess to turn us into a masterpiece. Is that okay? Anybody good with that? Okay. And you all get in time, out in time to go to Cracker Barrel, so it's going to be good. The first idea, if you're taking notes on this thing, is that Jesus uses small things and turns them into big things. 
Jesus uses small things to turn them into big things. Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious, how many of you here, uh, you remember Mac- MacGyver? You remember MacGyver? Okay, all right, hands down. How many of you, I'm not talking about the reboot MacGyver. The original, Can we, this, this MacGyver right here, it's coming, this one. The, the one with a mullet. Who remembers the one with a mullet? <laughs> I love it. And is, is he holding a bomb? Is that what that is? Like, how could you not love the 80s, man? Um, anyway, MacGyver was my favorite show in the 80s. I love MacGyver, all right? And I love, the reason I love MacGyver is because it didn't matter what situation this guy was in, all right? If you gave him a rubber band, some duct tape, and a paper clip. He could, he could break out of the trunk of a 1988 Monte Carlo SS. He could hotwire the car with duct tape, and then he could defeat the Soviet Union with the car he just broke out of. And I, I love MacGyver because MacGyver could, like, whatever the situation was, he could get out of it with, like, the, the smallest, simplest stuff. And that's why I was heartbroken this past um, week when I saw this picture on the Internet. We'll throw this picture up. And this is, this is modern-day MacGyver right here, and he's still got the mullet. But his car, it broke, it broke down. He probably ran out of plutonium or something. And it says, your childhood is destroyed when you, can't, when you can see MacGyver broke down and he can't fix his own car. That's a little bit funny, right? And so I saw this picture on the internet this week, and, and I had two thoughts. Number one, I thought, my, my childhood was a lie. My, my second thought was, does MacGyver drive a Subaru? There's nothing wrong with Subarus. I just didn't picture it, but I love MacGyver because he can use, you know, when I used to watch, he could use the smallest things to fix the biggest messes. And, and the reason I, I told you all that is because in this story, Jesus doesn't go straight up MacGyver. Jesus sees a problem that people could be hopeless over, and Jesus is like, I, I, I'm going to fix this with what I got. And he's like looking around, like looking look at what he's, what he's got. And so watch this in, in verse 6. It says this, Then he, Jesus, spit? Is, did, I, did I read that right? Did, did Jesus just spit? Did you, did you know this was in the Bible? Okay, Jesus spit. Let's keep going. It gets, it gets worse. Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and just help me out on three, everybody. This is what Jesus did on three. One, two, three. Spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. It's not COVID friendly. And listen, I've seen a lot of paintings of Jesus. And what he did in his ministry. Okay, I've seen, you know, Jesus holding baby lambs. I've seen Jesus with the children. I've seen paintings of like Jesus like walking on water. Why is there not a painting of this moment right here? And you, you got to imagine this moment from the blind man's perspective. Okay, and so the blind man, listen, he's been blind since he was, he was born. So he's sitting on the curb, you know, sitting there on the curb. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, heard this before, but when you lose one of your senses, um, a lot of times your other senses are heightened. And so like your other four just kind of compensate for that. So you got like, like this guy has hyper hearing, all right? And so he can't see, but he's got hyper hearing. He's sitting on the side of the street and he hears Jesus 
talking. And at this point, Jesus is famous. Everybody knew who Jesus was, okay? Jesus was famous because he had, like, brought people back to life. Jesus had, like, you know, healed people. Jesus turned, like, five fish and two loaves of bread into, like, a golden corral buffet or something. He, so this guy knew all about this stuff that Jesus had done, and he hears Jesus, and Jesus is talking about him. And Jesus is telling his boys, he's like, hey, you know, guys, this wasn't his fault that this happened. This happened so that God's power could be revealed. And you know this guy hears it with his super hearing, and he's probably like, this is my moment. This is it. Like, I'm going to see. Like, my whole life is going to change. And so, like, he, he is psyched. Everybody say, he is psyched. He is so psyched for this moment. And he's sitting there, and he's thinking, oh, my whole future is going to change. And, he, and, and the crowd is gathering around. They probably are, like, filming this, putting it on Facebook Live. It's like this big moment, Facebook Live, just showing this moment. And this guy is expecting Jesus. He's expecting to hear Jesus say, you can see. And then the crowd is all going to be, like, singing, I saw the light. Like, they're, they're just ready for this moment. And so he's waiting to hear Jesus say that. And this is what the guy was super good hearing hears. I love the Bible, man. I just love it. And it said that Jesus created mud, enough mud to put it over both of his eyes. How many spits does it take to cover, to put mud cakes in both my man's eyes? And so, listen, why did Jesus fix this mess that way with spitting mud? He literally could have done it any other way. And I think the reason why is because a lot of times when we're hopeless, we're, we're like looking for God to do this giant miracle. We're like, okay, heaven is going to split open and, and, you know, fairy dust and glitter is going to come from the sky, right? We're looking for this giant moment. Like if you're single, you're like, come on, God, would you just, you know, drop off a really good bachelor in my front yard via helicopter you know or if you're like struggling with money like god would you would you just like solve my money problems with making me win the powerball you know or god would you just make me happy with opening up chick-fil-a on this one sunday just one sunday lord it's christian chicken and we're looking to god to fix our big mess in a big way because we got a big god right and that's what a lot of times we're looking for. But most of the time, when we're hopeless, Jesus uses small things and turns them into big things. It's, it's spit and mud. And, and I don't know why, but God uses small, simple, ordinary, everyday things to make some of the biggest changes that happen in our life. A, a great example of this is my, my pup-up, who's a pastor over in Laurel. And um, actually, he's probably preaching right now in this moment. And... Uh, Here's, here's a picture of me and my pop-up from uh, a couple years ago. By the way, check that purple suit out. <laughs> my pop-up is 82, and he is destroying my fashion game. I mean, just, so I love my pop-up. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's, you know, he's one of those people who, like, I'd never really see do anything wrong. You know people like that? Like, the only thing I've ever seen my pop-up, like, do, his only fault is that he's a Washington Redskins fan. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Uh, well, no, there's a, new, there's a new season. They got a good, a new name. I'm sure they'll be just as bad as ever this season, okay? So anyway, 
but my pop up is a great man, loves the Redskins, and um, and just is a, is a great man. Um, but little family history. When my papa was in his 30s, he wasn't a Christian. In fact, no, nobody in my family was, was a Christian back then. And um, my papa, though, he, he did go to, to Blades United Methodist Church uh, on Christmas and Easter. Because that's what you do, right? And in the church world, we call that a creaster. Christmas and Easter only. That's funny. Come on, that's a little bit. Anyway, so um, my papa would go on Christmas and Easter. And one day, uh, he was in his yard and... Um, for some reason, the Sunday school director for Blades United Methodist Church had his name on a list and stopped by my pup-up's house. And my pup's out in his yard, and he's not a Christian. And this, uh, this person from the church stopped by and said, Hey, Roland, we need a Sunday school director or a Sunday school teacher out of the church. You want to do it? And have you ever said yes to something before you thought about it? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're here at church today because of that right there. You're like, you didn't think you're in church, but we're glad you're here. But anyway, um, he, he said, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll do that. And my papa wasn't a Christian. My papa didn't know anything about Jesus. And he shows up to teach Sunday school at Blades United Methodist Church. And these kids start asking him questions about Jesus. And he has no idea. And so he, he goes home and he's like, well, I better learn who Jesus is because these kids are asking me all these questions. He buys a Bible and he started sitting in his living room reading the Bible to get ready to answer questions in Sunday school because he wasn't a Christian. Like, you can't make this stuff up. And while reading his Bible in his living room, he gave his life to Jesus. And then after that, he was the first Christian in our family. Then my mom gave her life to Jesus. And then uh, my mom's sister gave her life to to Jesus, and then my dad became a Jesus follower, my aunts became a Jesus follower, then my papa became a pastor, and then my dad became a pastor, then my aunt became a pastor, then my uncle became a pastor, then I became a pastor. There are so many pastors in our family, it's ridiculous. There's like a five-year rotation at Thanksgiving for who gets to pray over the turkey. It's just like pastor, pa- everyone's a pastor. But all that happened because in the 60s, this guy stopped by and asked my papa, do you want to lead Sunday school? And that small, simple, ordinary thing literally changed everything. It's why I'm on this stage today. It changed my entire family tree. And and God, a lot of times, uses small, simple, ordinary things to do the biggest things in our life. And so maybe you're in a mess right now, and you're looking for something spectacular. But maybe God's going to use something really simple and small, like an invite to church. How many of you, like an invite to church, changed your life? How many of you say it changed your life? See? Simple invite. Change your life. Here's an invite that, that changed my life. In um, 2003, my buddy Matt invited me to go to a place called Freightland up in Middletown. And guess who I met there? My future bride. Changed my life. In, in sixth grade, Bo Dukes, our worship leader, invited me to his birthday party. And I went. And him and I have been best friends for 25 years. And Bo is our worship leader because of that invite back when we were in sixth grade. God uses small things and turns them into big things. Jesus used spit and mud and turned that into something that was a masterpiece. And so what are the small things that God's doing in your life right now to give you hope? Are you seeing those things? What are the small things that you can do in somebody else's life right now to give them hope? What are those small things? Because small things, when you put Jesus in there, turns to big things. It's spit and mud. Here's, here's a final point in this uh, message is that 
for God to turn messes into masterpieces, it's God's power is what creates our masterpiece. God's power is what creates our masterpiece. So just to see who's with me and who's thinking about Cracker Barrel, um, when this guy was healed, was it the spit and mud that healed him or God's power? Spit and mud or God's power? Spit and mud and God's, or God's power? God's power. See, y'all, you're, you're with me. That's good. That's the right answer. Now, even though that's the right answer, isn't it also right that when we're in a mess in life, a lot of times we try to do everything that we can do to fix it, and sometimes it doesn't work? Isn't, isn't that true? Why is that? I think the reason why is because our power, my power, your power is limited, but God's power is unlimited. And for a mess to turn into a masterpiece, God's power is the seeker sauce. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything. You might hear that and be like, oh, God's power is the seeker sauce. I'm going to take a nap. Okay, no, 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 no. Here's sort of a life philosophy for me um, when I am in a mess or when I'm worried about something. And, and we'll put this on the screen. Is that I do the things that only I can do, and I trust that God will do what only he can do. When I'm worried, when I'm a mess, when my life feels hopeless, I, I, I still have to do the things that only I can do, and I trust that God will do the things that only he can do. In other words, you got to participate for your mess to become a masterpiece. But, but... There's a point where we have to step aside and let God's power do what only God's power can do. Let, let, let me illustrate that. Um, so uh, me and my wife are, are having our home built for us right now. And so about a month ago, we went out to the house and we went to go look at it. And while we're walking in, uh, Stacy was right here beside me, walking up the driveway. Um, Stacy said, oh, shoot, I, f- I forgot something in the trunk. Can, can I borrow your keys? And so I, I was like, yeah, baby. And so I gave Stacy my keys. And, uh, and because your pastor is paranoid, when she was opening the truck, I yelled back. I was like, hey, babe, just don't lock the keys in the trunk. Anybody want to guess what happened next? I'm in so much trouble after church today, guys. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Stacy locked the keys in the trunk. And um, remember the blame game? I was like, it was you! No, but I, I just started, like, I, I had a mild freak out in the yard, right, babe? Just a mild, mild freak out? I was doing the floss, okay? That's how much I was, I was freaking out just a little bit. And so, like, our neighbor was in, in his front yard, and he sees, like, the local pastor losing, you know, his mind in the front yard. And so he comes over, and he's like, hey, I can help you guys get in the car. And, and my car windows were open, like, two inches. And he was like, I'm going to build something out of plumbing pipes and put a hook on the end of it, and we're going to break into your car. And I was like, babe, we live next to MacGyver. <laughs> this is great. And so and then I was like, should I be concerned that he knew how to break into my car so quickly? I don't know. Like, but he comes back. He has like this eight-foot plumbing pipe contraption that he MacGyver that had a hook on the end. And he, he starts putting it in the two-inches space of my window. And he's trying to get it on the handle. And then he's trying to like pop that handle out. And so he was, he was getting so close. He would get this hook right on the handle and then he would like try to pull and the handle would come out some but he couldn't just get he he just couldn't do it like he didn't have like the strength to just kind of pull that around and I'm watching him he's giving it all he's got but he needed somebody with a little more muscle he needed somebody who had a little more strength 
somebody who, you know, is maybe just a little bit ridiculously good looking. And so it's a good thing that my wife was there, okay? <laughs> True story. Stacy grabs this thing, and she popped that, that handle open so fast. I was like, I married a criminal. Like, I didn't even know. <laughs> That's how that happened. And so my, my point is, sometimes we can give everything, everything we got. But sometimes we got to step aside and let somebody more powerful than us step in and do what we can't do because our power is limited but god's power is unlimited and so when there's an addiction mess or a relationship mess or a emotional mess or a health mess that you're in or there's a money mess that you're in there's some things that you can do there's some things that you should do hello but there are some things that only our great god can do and make no mistake about it, just so I'm like crystal clear, when, when God turns our mess into a masterpiece, or when our mess turns into a masterpiece, God did that. Like his power is made perfect in our weakness. Like he gets all the credit for that because there is no masterpiece without a master piecing it together. Let me say that again. There is no master masterpiece without a master piecing it together. And so it's God's unlimited power that can create a masterpiece out of a mess. And Jesus uses small things and turns them into big things. And so I I wanted to kind of like illustrate this for you guys as we're kind of wrapping up here. So I have the two things that that Jesus used in this miracle um, to help this guy see, okay? So I got, first off, I got dirt. Actually, this is is Miracle Grow. Probably shouldn't touch Miracle Grow. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. It's from Lowe's. Love me some Lowe's. And so I got, I got, got some, some dirt here. And then uh, I got spit that my family has been collecting all week long. <laughs> Just trying to be biblically accurate, people, okay? So Nixon really helped out here. Um, <laughs> no, this isn't spit. This is it's basement water. Um, so we got, we got water and we have dirt. Now, why, why these two things? Why did Jesus use these two things? And I think the reason why is because you see dirt and you see water all over the Bible. They're, they're super symbolic, okay? You, you, like right out of the gate in Genesis, uh, it says that God created man out of the blank of the earth, out of the, the dust, the dirt of the earth, right? And, and so the reason he used dirt is because dirt is symbolic of our humanity. We, we are messy people. How many of you know that the person you're sitting next to is messy? They're messy. Did anybody enjoy saying that just a little bit? Do you enjoy saying that the person next to you is messy? That's because we're messy, okay? Um, But we're we're, we're messy. We are sinful people. That's why our marriages are messy. That's why our choices are messy. That's why our our spring break memories are messy, okay? We're messy people, and so dirt represents our humanity, our messiness, but... Water in the Bible is symbolic as well. Water is symbolic of God's grace. Just five chapters before this, in John chapter 4, Jesus says that when you drink my water, you will have eternal life. In other words, water is symbolic of God's grace. And so when you take our mess, our messy marriages, you take our messy choices, our messy spring break memories, our messy whatever, you fill in the blank, but you add God's grace to it, when you add God's grace to, our, to your marriage, 
When you add God's grace to your bad choices, when you add God's grace to those bad memories that you have, when you add God's grace to all these things, here's what happens. You have something beautiful that comes out of that. And God uses spit and mud to create something amazing. God uses spit and mud to bring life and hope back into our hopeless situations. God uses our messes and turns them into masterpieces. And and, and by the way, this is not a masterpiece because of anything you did. It's not a masterpiece because of anything I did. This This is not because of what Tony Robbins did in your life. This is because of God's power. God is the one who specializes in taking our mess, adding his grace to it, and turning it into a masterpiece. Only God can take spit and mud in our life and turn it into something beautiful. Now, to wrap up this story, um, in the story, we never read that the guy could see yet. Did you notice that? And so, like, at this point in the story, the guy still has mud cakes in his eyes. Like, he's def- he definitely can't see now, right? He's definitely hopeless now, right? And so, look at this in verse 7. After Jesus put mud cakes in both of his eyes, he told him, go, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam uh, means sent. So the man went and washed and came back what, church? Seen. Came back seen. And don't miss this. For this guy's mess to turn into a masterpiece, he had to take a step towards the restoration. He had to participate in the restoration. And, and, and I don't know what your mess is, but I do know that for your mess to turn into a masterpiece, you've got to take a step towards uh, the restoration, which means you get to play a part in it. You get, to, you get to help turn a 1989 Ford Mustang GT rust bucket into something amazing. We get to play a part. And so every single time that you, you pour God's grace into your marriage and, and, and you choose to compliment your spouse instead of criticize your spouse, you got a masterpiece coming. Every single time that you decide to go to church during a pandemic, okay, and you could be on the drive-on beach in Cape Henlopen State Park right now. That's where half the people are watching on Facebook Live right now from the state park. Which, by the way, like, I think the drive-on beach in the evening is even better. I mean, I'm a little biased, but, like, evening beach session is pretty good, right? But every single time you choose church over whatever else you could be doing, you got a masterpiece coming. Every single time you say no to an addiction, every single time you say yes to getting help or, or yes to, to an accountability partner, you got a masterpiece coming. And, and you, might, you might say, well, you know, those things are so small. Listen, Jesus uses small things and turns them into be- uh, beautiful things. Jesus uses small things and turns them into masterpieces. All you got to do is take a step. And, and I don't know what that step is for you, but I do know that for my grandfather in his living room prepping for Sunday school, The step he took was to accept Jesus in his life. And when he did that, God poured his grace into the mess in his life and created a masterpiece. It's the small things that God uses to turn us into masterpieces. But we got to take a step for it to turn into this. And I am standing on this stage because my grandfather took that step. Let, let, Let me pray with you guys. While your eyes, are, your eyes are closed, I'm just curious. Maybe somebody's here who you've never taken that step of accepting Jesus into your life. 
and, and you might look at your life and think it's a mess. Maybe you don't think it's a mess, but you've never taken that step. And you heard what I talked about today, and, and, and you know that you've got to take a step in order for God to make a masterpiece out of the mess of your life. And if you want to accept Jesus in your life, would you just, no one's looking around, but would you just slip your hand up? Would you super slip your hand up? If that's a step you want to take, I, I see some hands going up in this place right now, all over the place, actually. I'm so thankful for that. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to just say a prayer out loud. If you're a Jesus follower, say this with me. If you just raise your hand, say this with me, because we're just going to take this step together. Dear Jesus, I am accepting you into my life today. I'm taking the step of believing that you are the Son of God and you went on a cross for my mess and I'm a sinner. But you died on that cross so that I could be forgiven. And God, I accept your forgiveness and I accept your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.